Welcome to Digisection, a podcast about building great digital health companies and the strategies behind them. My name's Oscar. I'm a physician, inventor, and entrepreneur, and I'll be your host. The following is a conversation with Aline Noueza. Aline is a connector by heart. She is passionate about innovation and new technologies applied to healthcare. She is the founder of Digital Health Connector, a boutique consulting firm focused on digital health and the co-founder of Digital Health Innovators Barcelona, a successful local community that has been bringing together the actors of digital health ecosystem for the past nine years. Aline has a strong international experience working with startups and helping them to scale and connect with corporate companies. She was the program manager for Bayer G4A, so Grants for Apps, and business development director for Health 2.0. She's actively supporting Frontiers Health, South by Southwest, Medica, and Vision Health Pioneers. This episode is special because of two things. The first one is that we will be answering listeners' questions that were sent over the last two months. And the second, even more important fact, is that we're releasing this episode on Aline's birthday. Hi, Aline. I'm super excited to have you today on my pod. Hi, Oscar. Very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Where does this podcast find you? I'm in France today, in Champagne. That's great. I gathered questions sent from our listeners over the last two months, and I thought you'd be the perfect and ideal person to give some of the answers and to talk about communities, accelerators, pitching, and networking. Awesome. I love those topics. I understood quite early in my career that being an entrepreneur is a lonely sport and that you actually need fellow founders and communities to both get support and also help others and connect with people having more or less the same situations as you. So let's start with the basics. How would you define a community, especially, you know, trying to frame it in terms of technology and startups? So for me, a community is a sum of individuals. It's people, you know, without people, there's no community. People make the community. And there's, I would say there's like different types of communities. The one you mentioned when you can relate with uh, mm -hmm. fellow entrepreneurs, but there's also that community when you see people with, um, who like the same thing, who are interested in the same things as you are. And uh, maybe they are not startups, but you know, they're in the same area. Like if you talk about digital health, they can be the other actors of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think those people, I mean, in both cases, they share, like, there's a sense of sharing in those communities, as you mentioned yourself, like people want to help each other. They want to rely on that community. You know, if they have a question, if they have a doubt, then they can go to that group and they can ask a question, like they feel safe in that group. And I've seen that in my communities, it's also a good place to have to crowdsource, you know, like, yeah, you, you have a doubt and say, yeah, how can I do that? Does someone have an idea about that? And you see like many times, so many like answers and mm -hmm. great answers really helping the rest of the community. And how one could find the right community and the right group of like-minded founders, entrepreneurs, or just people engaged in particular niche? So 
I, that's not an easy question, right? But I think most of those communities, they normally do events. And if you attend one of those events, you can actually have a sense for the community and you will meet the people. And I was saying it's about people. So if you meet the people who are part of the community, that could give you a good idea about, or you meet someone and say, well, actually, I'm part of that community. And you can join that, that community through the people. I think people are a way to find other communities. Maybe even online, you know, mm -hmm. you can, yeah. I would go through people. Should we start locally or should we have this global approach from the very beginning and especially during the COVID time, but also in the post-pandemic world, start with online events, say from the US or Asia or, or anywhere else in the globe? Well, I think today, like communities are mainly online, you know, even if the community is born locally, it will have like a international reach. You know, for instance, if you find different communities, they will have different branches in other countries. So yeah, so I'm in France now and I was supposed to meet someone last week and I told her, I said, well, okay, can we meet like in two weeks because I'm going to be in France? And say, oh, where are you going? Because we have an office in Lille and if you only, you could just use our office there. And like, this is amazing, you know, like that really that community feeling where wherever you are, you know, they will just like, if you travel somewhere, you can find your place there. And I think it's actually very important also to expand your mind and to join communities outside of your local reach, because that's a way for you to understand the market over there. Let's say like if you based in France and you want to enter the US market, well, if you join community there, you can understand the market, how it works, and you can also get inspired by the way they're doing things over there. And I think that's very valuable. So I really, really recommend to really look outside of your local market. And you started to talk about the value that community could actually you know, give us and could enrich us with. And there's a particular question coming from Mark from Portland in Oregon. By the way, I love Portland. He asked, how do I know if a community has value or if it's the right match for my growth? First, you have to define your goals. Mm -hmm. Like a community is a tool for you. So what are you trying to reach? Have a clear idea about that and then see what that community could bring to you. I think that's important first. And see community, they normally have some, uh, it's something quite organized. And you will understand what they're doing, what they're looking for, and if that fits with you. And then again, I think a good way to see if it's the right thing for you is to talk to people who are part of the community. They can share the experience or maybe people who left the community to understand why they're not part of it anymore. So I think that's the best way, like based on the experience of those people. While listening to some of your past presentations, I know you're putting a lot of stress on the trust thing and that everything really needs to be built on trust. I kind of fully agree with that, both for personal and, and business relationships. So the question is how to build trust also in communities. So maybe here I can tell you like from the community building point of view. So I've got my own community in, in Barcelona that we built 10 years ago now, nine, 10 years mm -hmm. ago. And here I think the key, so our community is still very strong and um, funny enough, we have a group on WhatsApp mm -hmm. and we're reaching the maximum number. So we, oh. we, we try to, uh, to reduce tell people if you're not using the group, if you're inactive, but people don't want to leave. Like everybody was writing saying, no, please give me the group, which is amazing, you know? So we really managed to do that. And I think the key is like the curation of the group. Like we established some rules and it's not to be mean or to be a cop, you know, but mm -hmm. I think it's important to have some rules for the well-being of everybody. 
And also in our community, we've always included the members. I say what I do, I do it for the members. And so we do like regular surveys asking them what they want. Do they like the group? What can we do better? So the community is built with them. And I think that's very important, you know, to build trust, to include them in that process. And then I think you also build trust by doing, you know, it's this leading by example, Mm -hmm. like make action and that will make people trust you. And by the way, Patricia from Berlin is asking which digital health events and communities should she join? And, you know, what would you encourage our listeners to look into particularly? Okay. So things have been a bit complicated this year, right? But Uh if I tell you a number of events that I think will be happening uh, physically or part hybrid this year, first, I would recommend Frontiers Health. That was taking place in Berlin before. I think this year it's going to be online or hybrid. Mm -hmm. If you are into DTX, digital therapeutics, I would recommend all the events that they're doing. So there's one in, uh, in London, like DTX Europe. They're doing one or like two in the US, DTX X, uh, East and DTX West. So those are really, mm-hmm. really good. Very focused on DTX, but very high quality. One that I really like being French is eHealth University. And this is taking place in Castres in the south of France, next to Toulouse. Very, very nice conference. We always have a lot of fun, meet great people, great networking. I would also recommend the giant event. So that will be December in London. Okay. And looking more in the US, I would recommend HLTH. So that would be in Boston in uh, October. And Exponential Medicine. So that's a conference from Singularity University. I found like mind-blowing conference. I learned so much when I went there. And I would also recommend my own conference <laughs> taking place in Barcelona in October, the BHH Summit organized by Barcelona Health Hub. So that's for the events. And then when it comes to communities... So there's like groups of communities, like the Health 2.0 chapters, which was my chapter is part of. So there's still a few chapters active in Europe, like the one in Dublin, the one in uh, Egypt as well, and some others in the US. So that's a good point to start. There's one community in the UK called One Health Tech. So they're more focused Mm -hmm. on women and my minorities. That's also a very, very active group. And then I think it really depends like what you're into. You know, there are like specific communities if you're into femtech, for instance, there's this great group called Femtech Focus. Mm-hmm. So really focus on that topic. And I would also recommend to join communities that are different from what you're doing. So to leave your comfort zone and to get inspired by what others are doing. I think this is also very cool because you learn new things, you meet new people, and then you can apply that to your own business. Very good advice indeed. By the way, a quick note to all of our listeners, we will try to put most of the links to the events that Ellen just described in the show notes. Okay, and so let us try now to move to the next topic that are accelerators. I had the pleasure myself to go through two. So the first one was Cedar sinai Accelerator in Los Angeles. And one year before, I went through Startup Bootcamp in Berlin at that time with one of my companies. I think it changed me as a founder and my key learning was that it's more for startup founders and it kind of gives you a new perspective as a human being, a person, a business person, more than a huge change for the company itself. What is the perfect moment for going to an accelerator, for making the first application and even, you know, considering this as an option? I would recommend companies to apply when they are first a clear idea of what they want to do, you know, to have things like mapped out quite well. 
and to have MVP already. Because I think before that, it may be a bit early and you, you won't make as much out of the program as you would if you have a MVP. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's the same like when you want to do an MBA, they <laughs> tell you that it's better if you have like five years experience yeah. working in different companies before doing the MBA. And I absolutely relate to that. When I didn't mind, I'm like, you actually look at what you've learned and done in your job and you learn from that in the MBA. And for me, accelerator is a bit the same, you know, if you're too early in an accelerator, it's too much and you won't really get a lot from it. But if you have a clear idea already, the accelerator will help you to validate and to make the most of all the different sessions that are offered to you. But I guess there's also a point in what you were saying, you went to two. There are different types of accelerators and some are more focused on early stage companies. Like it's the case for Vision Health Pioneers, which kind of the continuity of a startup bootcamp that you did yourself. And then you've got accelerators with pharma companies like Bayer Giffray that I was part of for the pharma. And they are looking for companies more advanced because what they want at the end of the day is to do a commercial deal. So it also depends not only on you, but what the accelerators are looking for. What is your experience, you know, as the person running acceleration programs? What are the traits of the most successful teams and companies? So I've always found that the most successful were those. So first, they had a clear roadmaps. They knew why they were in the program. You know, it really fitted in their roadmaps. And there were also companies that were spending a lot of time in the accelerators. Like they were very engaged. They were attending all the activities. They were really creating opportunities for themselves with the accelerators. Like really, you know, meeting, like when I was at Bayer, for instance, like companies were meeting with the different departments, you know, they were asking for meetings, really trying to understand the business. Thing that I saw that were successful companies were really interacting and collaborating a lot with the other companies from the program, mm-hmm. learning from them and sharing from the experience. Okay. And we have a quick question from Pierre from NYC, from New York City, asking how to work with pharma and implement solutions, how to effectively go through pilots that are part of the acceleration program. So is there any particular experience you could refer to from your times at G4A? To successfully collaborate with a pharma, you need to understand the business. You need to understand what they're looking for. At Bayer, for instance, we were sharing some needs. So if you can work on that, you know, you start from a need and propose a solution to the need, it's much better. But I think you really need to be proactive and come with a proposal to the farmer, you know, understand the business and say, well, we can do this and that. Like I had example, remember at the beginning companies coming or startups coming to the farmer and saying, hey, that's our solution. How do you think we can work together? Like, no, that's not the way it works. Like, you have your solution, like, pharma is good at what they're doing, but you need to come up with a, with a proposal. And then the pharma and the startup will work together to work on that solution together. But I really recommend you you come up with a first idea for that. And then to effectively go through pilots, I think you need to work really hand-in-hand with the pharma company. So you have your expertise, they've got the expertise, but really work as a team. And define a clear timeline and milestones. Maybe this will have to come from the farmer, but have that clear and work really, try to stick to that, that will make your life easier. And be patient because it takes time, but it's worth it. Okay, Aline, and you know, could you name any successful companies that went through the G4A program? And you know, 
partner in a really good way with with buyer. Sure. So in Spain, for instance, where I did the first edition of the program, so we had two companies. So one was Daycare. And what I was describing before, this example of successful companies who were really like present in the program, very active, collaborating a lot with another another startup from the program. And then for my time in, in Berlin, this company like Cyclica, for instance, will sign a, a deal with Bayer after that, or another company like uh, Sidekick Health, mm-hmm. who were part of the DealMaker program. So that was more the two programs at Bayer, the one for the early stage startups and the one for the more advanced startups. So Sidekick Health were part of, of the DealMaker program, the more advanced program, and they also like struck a deal with Bayer and think they also got some investment afterwards. Yeah, yeah. so got some... Uh, nice uh, partnerships coming out of it and last question from a gentleman whose name is chris from london how to make most of your time during and post acceleration time so i think that's a bit what i was telling you before like be present during the accelerator if it's a presential program like be there you know we also saw many times we've got like clients or providers or investors that were visiting us at the accelerators and we were introducing them to the companies who were there so those who were physically at the program they really highly benefited from that those who were never there well they didn't so i think that's very important why i really insist on being physically in a place when possible And also in an accelerator, you have a lot of mentors, like they can be mentors from Bayer in the case of D4A or outside mentors. Also make the most of that, like really create connections, build a relationship with those people for the program and for after, that's very important. And think also that when you're in a program like Bayer, the other one, that gives you like a, a business cards and it really opens doors. So make the most of that really use that don't overuse it but i see so many cases of people saying well i tried to contact them like so many times mm-hmm. they never pay attention to me but now that i'm part of the bayer program well <laughs> they just give me an appointment next day so yeah so that's very important and then so after the program most of accelerators they've got alumni programs so the same really be part of it be active in that join the program join the different events maybe be proactive in the sense maybe organize events in your area. So that's a very great resource. I think you should really make the most of that. Let's move on now to my favorite topic, that is pitching. What are the best pitches you've seen? So for me, there were those who could really create an emotional connection. You know, someone who can really transmit the passion for the project. They can make me feel part of the project. They can convince me of uh, why they were doing the project and why I should be on board in the case of an investor, for instance, of why I should care about the project. And I think it's also important to accompany your pitch properly, you know, like to have a nice deck that's clear, simple, and that follows your pitch. Okay, and let me ask you here a short follow-up question. So I heard kind of two opinions from VCs. One, that founders shouldn't waste too much time on making, you know, a beautiful design of the deck, but just, you know, work on the business at that time. And the second opinion was that if they're not able to produce a beautiful deck, then they probably won't be able to work on the details of their business in the future. What is your take on that? So for me, a pitch deck is actually the materialization of your pitch, what you have in your mind. So it is very important. And like 
I get put away by decks who are like full of text who are too confusing. And I would agree that if a deck is confusing, I think it's also confusing in your mind. And keep in mind that a pitch and the same for a deck, it's supposed to be a teaser. You have to get the attention of the audience, being an investor or being a farm or insurance hospitals. But you're not supposed to say everything in that pitch deck. You're just supposed to grab my attention so that I want to talk to you more. And I want to know more about what you're doing. And what is the optimal time to pitch? I know that many people are either waiting too long or are going out there not having you know, a concise story. What are your thoughts? So I think it's never too early to pitch because you are working on something. And for me, pitching helps you to create connections and connections are key for your business to grow. So I'm not telling you that the first month you have to do a full pitch about your ID, what it will look like, but you can pitch something already and you don't have to disclose everything. But it's important because you never know who you're going to meet. Like imagine like you're in the lift with an important VC and you're unable to pitch because you're not really that. That's not okay. That's really missing opportunities. And an example that I give, you know, I've spent some time on Clubhouse this past month and I invited startups to pitch in some rooms and they didn't want to go on stage. And then say, sorry, but we were not ready. I'm like, God, but you just lost like huge opportunity. So be ready. Even if it's like one minute pitch explaining what you're working on. But I think it's really, really important to be relationship and meaningful contacts. And what are the key elements that make a great pitch? What is your recipe? So one is passion. Really share your passion when you pitch. Two is clarity. So your pitch should be understandable. Like after your pitch, I should understand clearly what you're doing. And even if I'm not an expert, if your topic is a bit technical, like mm -hmm. make it clear for me to understand. You also need to have a clear ask. So what are you looking for? Like if you're asking for money, tell me how much are you looking for? You should have a slide with a big number on the slide deck. Don't make me look for how much you're looking for. If it's for a hospital, you want collaboration, a pilot with them, make that clear on the slide. And another important point is like, make me want to know more. Like, you know, the pitch should be, you should make me want to know more about your mm -hmm. solution after to have a second meeting after you. And also key, like to, to have a great pitch is to practice, like practice, practice, practice. That's why I keep saying the best pitches are those who have been practiced like hundred times. And I think the person who's pitching is also very important. You know, give you an example, like a few weeks ago, I was reviewing a pitch deck and I didn't like the solution. Like there's nothing in the pitch. Like I, I really don't like it. Like the pitch deck itself was not really attractive, missing information. And we had a, a meeting with the founder. I loved him. Like I was <laughs> seduced by him as a founder, very knowledgeable. I would invest in him as a person. So. That's why I think, and I told him in that meeting, I was like, I think you really need to work on your deck because it's not serving you. You've got a great product, you've got great idea, great, great solution, but your deck is not here. So that's why the deck is also, it's, it's very important. Yeah, you're right. And pitching helps us to start networking. As you said before, it helps us to create very powerful connections. So let us talk for a couple of minutes about the art of networking. The key always seems to be finding people that you can trust. How to do that? Yeah, that's not easy. I guess it's the same I've spending with your husband or wife, you know? 
It's uh well, I think you can feel connection with people, right? Like, and again, I'm back to that, but I would recommend really to go to events, to find events or communities with the same topics. And the values, we're talking about values before, but people sharing the same values, I think you should be able to trust those people more. Mm -hmm. And another question this time from Jenny, also from Berlin. By the way, I can see I have a lot of listeners in Berlin. How to use LinkedIn to create real and meaningful connections? So that's a great question. And I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I think it's a very powerful tool when it comes to business. And I think it's a great way to position yourself. So I'm always amazed like when I write posts or articles mm -hmm. like posts on LinkedIn, it's very, very efficient. You know, So I think LinkedIn does it very well that you can really reach people. So my recommendation would really be to write articles, to share your opinion, to comment on other people around a topic that matters to you. And I think also use LinkedIn if you are into events, like if you go to events, mm -hmm. like promote yourself there. So I've been doing this a lot this past month and I, I found it very, very efficient. And for short story, there was a, I got actually contacted by a, one of the GAFAM, like the big companies to participate in more of their events because they saw me very active on LinkedIn. I was like, wow. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool story. And so I've noticed your and read a couple of your articles. One of them was on uh, the five key tips for high impact networking. So as the digital health connector, what would be your advice for our listeners, you know, how to network both effectively and also how to do this with ease? Okay. So maybe I can share my five key tips sure. for high impact networking. So my first advice is really to build a network, you know, so... A network would be a group of people with who you create a connection mm -hmm. and those connections would be useful to you now and in the future. But it's important to build your network as early as possible. You know, when we were talking about pitching before, the same for the network. It's never too early to create a network. Like when you are looking for money and you will understand that very well, don't wait till you need money to connect with investors. Like create that relation early on. Like the same, you know, if you're in, in a healthcare business, like connect with hospitals. I think it's important to identify the people that would make sense, like who should be in your network and to start connecting with those people. So that's one. Second one, say it's all about trust. Networking, as I'd say, is about people. So you are connecting with people. You're not connecting with a company X or Y, you connect with that person. I think connections are like flowers. You need to water them. You need to take care of them. And those are like the long-term relationships will be the best. Then my third one is like, it's not about you. It's about them. So it's not about me, me, me. I do this and I do that and I want this and I want that. But listen to people like, you know, many times you see founders who just go and network and they explain what they're doing. They explain what they want, but they don't ask you anything. And that doesn't give a very good, uh, a very good image. So listen to people and be generous, you know, offer some connections, offer some help and it will pay back. I promise it does. <laughs> a point four would be work on your personal branding. So we talked about LinkedIn before, and I think that's very important because at the end of the day, you are not your company. I think it's important to separate you as a person and your company. So you existed before your company, you will exist mm -hmm. after your company. So position yourself as an expert in a specific topic. 
And my fifth point is be resilient. So don't give up. Networking takes time. It's not easy. It's not easy to reach the people that you want to reach. But like, yeah, don't give up because it will happen. Thank you, Aline, so much for giving us a snapshot of your five key tips. And yeah, and I think it's going to be really helpful for so many of our listeners who are mainly seed stage or series A stage founders. And now I love to talk for a moment about the current trends in digital health. What is the most interesting niche in digital health for you in 2021? So I think that's something that the pandemic showed us is that the care is coming more and more where the people are. We saw that a bit before, but it made it more clear. Like we saw many people being at home, they couldn't access their healthcare, but they still needed healthcare. So that's where we're going. We need to bring even more the care to the house or to where the people are, like being chronic patients, or you can also do like rehabilitation at home. And maybe one technology I'm very excited about, and I think can help in that sense, like the voice AI technology. I think there's like huge opportunity, huge potential with that specific technology. Yeah, I'm also a huge believer in voice. We'll see how early we'll get the full potential of it. And how about your personal inspirations and fascinations? Is there anything that you've recently read, watched, or, you know, got inspired by? So I'm really inspired by seeing health tech in action. You know, mm-hmm. what we say when work is your passion, it's not work anymore. And I'm very much <laughs> into health tech, <laughs> you know, what I do. And uh, yeah, that really what makes me happy, you know, to get up in the morning and to realize that what you are doing can have an impact on people's life. I think it's really, really great. And the ability to be able to help founders who have great solutions to push that to the market. I'm really inspired by like genuine people who want to make a difference. You know, people who, who don't have ego or not seeking money, just want to make a difference. I've got, for instance, like a friend of mine, he worked in his kitchen during the lockdown, mm-hmm. like 3D printing some face shields for the healthcare professionals. And I admired him. And the thing that I admired the most is like, he didn't want to talk about it. Like, it doesn't want people to know that he did it because it's like it's. Not, I don't want it to be, to be public. I just he did it to help, and I'm, I find it even more impressive, you know. And Aline, could you tell our listeners how they can reach you? What's the best way of contacting you, either regarding the presentations, tags, or any other kind of digital health support? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. So I'm pretty active there. You can find me on Twitter. So it's. Anoise, A-N-O-I-Z-E-T. And I've got my own website as well, digitalhealthconnector.com. Aline, thank you for being with us today and thanks for joining. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Speak to you soon.